0: Uh, We are working our way in the three pastors through the book of Acts. We've been doing so for quite some time and we have come to the final two sermons now. Actually, last week was the third from the end. This is the second and next week it will end. And Josh, you recall, you were here preaching last week and uh, I this week and then Scott next week. We've been taking in four week chunks but we got to the end we... Each take a shot, and uh, so we're we're winding down, and we've come to the final chapter uh, in the book of Acts, or to the uh, last printed chapter of the book of Acts, published. We're living out the final chapter of Acts uh, uh, right now, but uh, we've come to chapter 28. There are the first 10 and a half verses. Uh, if you remember, <clears throat> excuse me, last week. Paul was on his way to Rome. He was on a ship, and uh, it was in a terrible storm. And uh, they tried everything not to uh, sink the boat. But uh, sometimes, you know, you just run out of things to do. So they were making um, for land, and they ran up on a uh, on a sandbar or something, and uh, uh, the ship broke apart. But uh, everyone uh, made it into land. Uh, safely, and that brought us to uh, brings us to chapter twenty-eight, the first verse. Uh, by the way, that's in your book, and of course, but if you have your Bible, that's the best place to to read it, and uh, uh, or your and use this or your uh, electronic device of whatever sort to, to read it. But this is the word of God. After we were brought safely through. We then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness. The word native people, we'll talk about it in a minute, but it, uh, comes from uh, the same root. We would transliterate it, the barbarians, uh, reason for that. Uh, showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and, we, and it was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice, which was a goddess uh, there on Malta, uh, considered a goddess, uh, has not allowed him to live. who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail... They put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you have seen fit to reveal yourself. In the world that you have made, in all the things around us, you have written on our hearts, Lord, something of yourself, we have a sense of deity, a sense of divinity, a sense of you even within us, no matter what we say with our lips or believe, Lord, it's there. We also often deny it, uh, but Lord, you've gone beyond that witness, beyond that revelation. You've given us this, your word. Throughout, oh Lord, a revelation of yourself, a revelation of your relationship with the world, with us, all of your creatures. Lord, we thank you for it. In it, you have revealed your love for us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. And we pray now this morning that you will open this word to us by your spirit, that by that same spirit, you will open us to your word our ears, our minds, our hearts, our wills, our souls. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. When the Titanic left its dock in Southampton on noon, April 10th, 1912, it was the safest ship afloat. and was for five days uh, until at 2.20 a.m. on April 15th, 1912, it sank in freezing waters nowhere near inhabitable land with tragic loss of life. When, however, the ship on which the Apostle Paul was being taken to Rome sank, it was in warmer uh, waters near the shore of the inhabited island we know as Malta, just south of Sicily off the coast of Italy, where he and his fellow castaways were hospitably treated. Pretty much is what we just read. I find three lessons uh, for for us from Paul's Malta experience uh, three lessons about the Christian life that I think we should take note of uh, two of them are important one of them is essential so three lessons from this passage the first is important you don't have to be a Christian to do good or be kind. The uh, the islanders, the barbarians, showed the castaways literally extraordinary kindness. Literally, uh, excuse me, extraordinary kindness, that's the translation, literally no common kindness. Luke terms in barbarians, which isn't a, a pejorative here. We usually think of it as a pejorative term. It's not that at all. It's simply, they didn't speak Greek. They weren't of high civilization, they were a little bit lower because they didn't speak Greek and, and that would almost be a natural uh, reaction for Luke, the Greek, uh, to have. They were barbarians. Uh, it meant they were the native people and it meant that they were not like us, the people who landed on the island and came ashore. They were Phoenicians and they spoke their own language. Not only didn't they speak Greek, they weren't Christians. They weren't like us, Paul, Luke, and Paul's us. It's ironic, uh, just an aside. Malta today is turned the most religious country in Europe. Uh, and uh, I, I read it just this morning again, reread it to be sure it was right. Whatever that means for us today, but but these Maltese were philanthropists. Uh, in the right sense, that philanthropist is the root word of kindness. They showed us philanthropy. Uh, philos, love. Anthropos, man. Love for mankind. They showed it. And um, they did so in, uh, in several ways. Malta, in fact, in their language means refuge. And they were doing their best to live up to their name. Have you ever broken down on the side of the road? you ever had a flat tire or a radiator hose breaks or whatever happens and you pull over on the side of the road and your cell phone doesn't work there, there's no cell tower, or back in the days when nobody had ever heard of a cell phone? break down on the side of the road, you can't call AAA, you know, and you're there. And the car's just, just, you know, flying by. Who stops? I've already apologized for this, uh, that. but it's not the guy in the Mercedes. You know, it's not the guy in the Lexus. It's not the guy in the Porsche. It's not the guy in the Corvette. It's never. It's the guy, you know, in the, the jumper. He's the guy that pulls up. He's not like you. But he's been broken down on the side of the road. And so he comes to your help. He's your friend in your need. By the way, I used to drive a Mercedes. And my wife drove a Lexus, which she kindly handed down to me when it was worn out. We never stopped for people on the side of the road either. You know? But there are people who do do that come to help. And some of them may be Christians. I suspect most of them aren't. It's sad, but it's true. non-Christians all too often shame us in their kindness, in doing good, being kind, despite the fact that they're strangers to Jesus Christ. Second lesson also important because the conclusions jumped to are usually wrong. (laughs) How many times have you done it? Have we all done it? And how many times have we jumped to a negative conclusion only to reverse it? Because we're just completely off base. I I worked as a as a teenager, young teenager, in a service station, i let you do that. And uh, it was out on the highway on, on, on Highway 90 between New Orleans and the Gulf Coast. And right next door was a reptile jungle. Do you remember the days of the reptile jungles? I don't know if they still exist anymore with interstates. But, uh, and people would go there to see crocodiles and all manner of snakes and different sort of... And things that were brought back from around the world. This particular one was owned by a guy named Art Jones and his partner Bob, something or like other. And uh, Art would go all over the world. He had a television show like Marlon Perkins and another guy. Uh, you know, and uh, he was pretty well known, at least in the Southeast, but he traveled all over South America. He traveled uh, to Africa, all over the place. Uh, I can tell you a story about his kidnapping a missionary's daughter and, uh, uh, and being uh, uh, encountered by her family on the bank of the river in the Congo anyway. <clears throat> When Art and Bob were there, they would lead tourists through the jungle, the reptile jungle, so this little park there. There was a big old tank for for, for crocodiles. There was a, another big tank for all manner of snake, poisonous non poisonous whatever. There was stuff for gila monsters and all the other stuff. There was one place that was under Lock and Key. Oh, it was the Cobra House. And there were yeah, Cobra's in there. And and, and when these when the boys were leading to a stupid place, it was all right for them to go down. They knew how to get in and out of the crocodile. They could go in and But they were not allowed to do anything but stand on the outside of the Cobra case and point and tap on it and try to get the Cobra to rise up and strike if they could. But that was it. Well, you know, arts in Africa somewhere, hunting animals... Uh, and they hunted and this was just a warehouse for the animals they brought back to sell to zoos to and for research and all of that. But they made money, you know, paid for their upkeep by showing them. Bob's off the business and another Bob. another one. He gets a key. And when they get to the Cobra house, he unlocks the Cobra house, and he walks in, and he begins doing just like art almost just like Martin Bob, takes his hand, and he waves it in front of his Cobra. The cobra comes up, and he looks, and he strikes, and he's just hanging on the Bob's hand. And he's been bitten by a Cobra Bob it, the other Bob, the older Cobra, got back just about that time, and there's... Loud with a cobra, he'll you know, just Long story after that. Loud stuff. stupid, stuff. Well, you and I, you and I, we come to conclusions about Loud. That was stupid. You know? And that would be a correct conclusion. So the same thing happens on Malta. Yeah. You know, here's Paul throwing wood on the fire and in the wood apparently is a poisonous snake which fastens itself on his hand and he throws his stuff in there. He's got a snake in his hand. And they jumped to a conclusion. He's a murderer. He a a full of prisoner. He's a murderer and justice is about to be served. Why? And, and uh, uh, you know and, and but you just know there was some money, but it's similar to how one would tell you it, it right? And And he doesn't. And so they do what we always do when we've jumped to a conclusion and discovered it's wrong. They jump to another conclusion, which was equally wrong. They said, Well, he's deity, he's God, he's a God. Uh, you know. He said, look, he's jumped from one thing to the other. You know, he he's he's he's, he's a murderer and it's coming home to loose. And you know, he killed he over there, he was on that boat, well, he got off the boat safe in the boat, now the snake bites him and he's gonna die. It, it, mind you that passage in Amos, what, doesn't it? As when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him or goes home, leans his hand against the wall, he's home, he's safe, and a snake bites him. You know, it's the same sort of thing in, in their mind. and we, we often jump to the same sort of conclusion. By that, I mean, we see something happening in some part. And we know the reason for it. Don't we? It's sin. We're often as wrong as they were in my life. That's why Jesus warned us, don't judge so that you won't be judged. For in the way you judge, you'll be judged. And by your standard measure, it'll be measured to you. I know he's talking specifically about this, but you remember the Galileans whose blood Pilate mixed with their sacrifices of the 18 who died when the tower fell in Siloam? Disciples uh, are certain that sin is the culprit. Were they greater sinners, Lord? Were they worse culprits? And that's why they were judged. Remember what Jesus said? Better repent, or <laughs> the same thing will happen to you. Or when that man healed the man born blind. Who sinned? Was it him, or was it his parents? Why was he going blind? He just said neither. Which brings me to a parenthesis that uh, sort of fits here. Jim Boyce, in his, I think it's in his sermon on this same passage or in this greater passage, listed five kinds of biblical suffering. This might be a good place just to review them. You know them. But he said there's common suffering, which is simply our, our common human experience of living in this fallen world. There's corrective suffering, which has as its purpose to correct us, to bring us to our senses. There's constructive suffering, which develops character, and Paul talks about that. There's glor- Christ glorifying suffering. Who sinned, this man or his mother? Jesus said, or his parents. He says, neither that this man sinned nor his parents. It was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Then there's cosmic suffering, which none of us Job talking, well, there's God in the heavens and here comes Satan before him and, and, and they start, they single out Job and they have this conversation about Job and, and God in effect turns him over to Satan except you, you can't kill him but you can take everything he has. There's stuff that's going on. We can't assign a reason other than that to And we may never know. I'm not even sure in glory we'll know all of those things. If we knew all of them, we'd be God, and we're we're not going to be. We certainly are now. Anyway, close parenthesis. And move to a brief excursus. (laughs) That's a detour, rabbit trail, whatever you want to call it. An admission. is not the first time I have preached in this passage of Scripture. First time I preached this sermon, but I preached 22 years ago. I went back. And it was in my file. 22 years ago, I preached on this sermon, and, and I remember I got so much between the margins. I wrestled with it, struggled with it, but after it and preached the sermon. So I came back 12 years ago preaching was preaching through the book of Acts by myself, without help from uh, the other guys, and so uh, I'm preaching through it, and I got to this passage. It was Saturday night, I worked on this all week, and after something, I got to Saturday night, and I said, this is, unreachable wasn't bad, but there was just something, wasn't there, just absolute, absolute. It's one of those all-nighters, I've not had many of them, but, it, you know, half the night on your knees, and then trying to figure out what to say, what is wrong with this? And I preached it and then I realized what was wrong in the preaching of it. It wasn't anything wrong with the sermon, other than that the sermon reflected the text. And in this passage, it's, it's just unsatisfying. Actually from 1 to, to, to 2811, to twenty-eight eleven. Something ain't right. And I have wrestled you back for 22, how many, 22 years, and and still not now, something's still missing. The Maltese have done good for the castaways, there were 200 and some of them, but the best of folks who do the best of things are still condemned without Christ. They do good. No question about that, but it's never good enough. There was, miraculous, you know, Paul and Luke did three months of healing among the people. They were medical missionaries, if you will. They were healing Malta fever, which is still there on Malta. Uh, they treat it. I mean, they've got stuff that can ward it off. But you go drink—it's from the milk of Maltese goats. Go figure. You drink unpasteurized goat's milk on Malta. You're probably going to be sick. It's still there. Well, that's what they're treating. And there was miraculous healing. Paul goes into Publius's father, prays over him, and he's healed. Then it says they did. If you read the language, and part of the language uses the word therapeutic, which means just common, ordinary medical work. What doctors and medical professionals do, just ordinary medical treatment by Luke the physician. Okay. Something's missing. Something's still missing. You talk all you want about those things, they're good things. Great things, wonderful things. What's missing? Which brings us to the third lesson, lesson number three, which is essential. To others are merely important, not to be missed, to be but this is essential. Nothing's complete or right without the gospel and it is nowhere to be found in this passage remember when I finished reading the scripture and I prayed remember that period of silence it was supposed to be a minute long I couldn't do it it was only 30 seconds did it drive you nuts did it drive you crazy just silence It's supposed to be something there and there wasn't I stole that from Trevin Hoop. if you remember when he was here Something was supposed to be there, and it wasn't, and it makes you uneasy, doesn't I saw some of them, you kind of shift in you see, what is this, you know, is he having a stroke, is it, you know, <laughs> what, what is going on? That's exactly how I feel every time I read this passage in Scripture for 20-some-odd years. Did you read along with me? Did you notice God, the word God, appears once? And it's not, it's not about God. It's lowercase. They thought Paul was a God, that he was deity. And that's not the first time that happened to Paul. Remember back in, Austria, in the book of Acts, earlier, 14th chapter? The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men, the people said. Barnabas was Zeus. Paul was Hermes because he was the speaker. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out in the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news. We bring you gospel. That's the word. that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. But here, there's no mention of the gospel. There's a little lowercase God and no mention of Jesus whatsoever or repentance or faith or anything remotely resembling the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing's right. Take the gospel out. Nothing's right. All your good works. All our efforts. It's just not right. Something's missing. Nothing's complete without Jesus and what he did. And so you go to a number of churches. So many churches. And you sit there in vain. Listening for a word of grace. For a word of the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. For something to come and to lift this weight that you've been carrying around. And it never comes. talking about the liberal churches, we talk about this church, about that church. It's not what they do say. It's what they don't say. It's what's missing. They can have a beautiful worship service. I remember a seminary professor of mine, his wife was in a hospital in New Orleans and he went to a church and I was familiar with him very high, beautiful, well-constructed worship service lifts you up to heaven almost. Gets you right up a little bit short though. The music is beautiful. Hired musicians, good musicians. And I'm talking about 40 years ago. I don't know what it is. The prayers are he was around the songs. He said, hey, how about the summer Because I knew what the sermon was like. I'd been there. He said, it was beautifully well done. But there was no gospel whatsoever. Jesus was left out of it. I remember going to when I was a pastor in Louisville, one of my neighbors was a member of another church. It's a great guy. He was a member of a bad church, but he, was, he loved Jesus. He was an evangelical. I don't know why he was there, but he was. He invited me to come to him, a guest right, preaching. Man, he went to the Yale Theater and the Yale Lectures. I his father, the book of Yale I Early 80s, I guess. And, had, uh, and so I went. Linda said, I know better than to go. She's so much smarter than I am. And so I got in because this is my friend, my neighbor, and I sat there, and the guy who was a pastor of a large church in Manhattan, New York, boy, he started. To this day, I've never heard an introduction so compelling. Boy, he he sucked everybody in. We were in. I was on the edge of this, and I'm sitting there the new birth we want a two bit word like we theologians like to use we reform people, regeneration why use two syllables when you use five but without ever mentioning it, without ever saying a word against it, he destroyed it, wiped it off the face of the earth and he left those people right where they were and I guess still are today it was tragic. Well, i imagine many evangelical churches like us do almost the same thing. We assume the gospel. After all, we're, we're good Christians here. We're evangelicals. Perhaps we're reformed. But we're, we're good Christians. So we skip the gospel and go to the Christian life. slowly the gospel fades out of sight it's just truth here's a pointed application I've got to get to the end of this thing you and I can do good helpful merciful things but if we don't speak of Jesus as the reason for our doing of them What have we done? I said in Sunday school class, we do good things. And we don't mention Jesus. And we we build a world of moralists. We do good moral things and upright good things. We assist we keep the Ten Commandments and all the moral laws to and we've been in the, Jesus. the only thing you and I have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. all we have is God come in the flesh live the life you and I can never live the only perfect life ever been lived to pay the atoning sacrifice for our sin and our failures. To lie dead in the grave and be raised by the power of God to testify to you and me that it's so, that it's real, that it's ours in Him, ascended into heaven and left us with His promise, I'll be back. And with the living hope of that day. And you take that away and we've got nothing. Not a hope. Not a prayer. Not a chance. I know you can How? You may or may not be an evangelist. You may have the gift of evangelism. You may not. You may be called to be an evangelist or not. But if you're a child of God, you're a witness. I didn't say you should be a witness or may be a witness. You are a witness. The only question, the only question is what sort of witness are you? I find Jesus' words unnerving. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That strikes terror in my heart because I know. time and time and time again when I should have opened my mouth I haven't sometimes it's because I just didn't think I I could do it well enough so many times it was because I was ashamed of my Savior and the words of grace. What will they think of me? Hmm? I'm afraid they'll reject Jesus. I'm more afraid they'll reject me. And I'm willing to bet you felt the same way more than once. And he's kept you speaking of the hope that's in you. The reason behind that hope. The one who's that well John Newton had it right weak is the effort of my heart and cold my warmest thought but when I see thee as thou art I'll praise thee as I ought till then till then I would, lo- I would thy love proclaim with every fleeting breath. And may the music of thy name refresh my soul in death. Quick review. Lesson number one. You don't have to be a Christian to do good or be kind. That's important. Lesson number two is important. Conclusions jump to are usually wrong. Lesson number three, more than important, it's essential. It's utterly, absolutely essential. Nothing's complete. Nothing's right when the gospel's missing. That's what's wrong with this passage. I have a theory about why that's so. And I'll give it to you real quick and then we'll pray. Uh, Scott and Josh kind of scoff at it. But they've never offered another one any better. See, they wrote this mm-hmm. in I'm serious. i not talking about how it's open and the best I can remember is he was almost out of And so he condensed what he had to say. I don't think that Paul didn't preach the gospel. I don't for a moment think that Paul could be three months anywhere when there was one live soul there and not say something about Jesus. It had to be something else. I think that's the long and short of it. I think it's as simple as that, but I've never read anybody else's, uh, I've never read anybody else's dealt about the issue. Uh, I mean, they talk about, hey, they mention the gospel, but we know Paul did, it. we mean, know Paul did this. Why did we talk about it? There's everywhere else in the place. Maybe the Holy Spirit wants to make it book for you to drive us crazy, like this passage drives me crazy. Where's the gospel in your life, in your words, in your day-to-day exchange with your family, with your friends, with your co-workers, with your fellow students, whatever? Where is the gospel?